0: Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath day that we can worship you, and I pray that as we go through the message today that you would speak through me and that the words would be clear and that we would each gain what we need to learn from the message today. I pray this in Jesus' name. The title for the message today is The Value of Heresy, Now you may wonder how could heresy have any value especially when you look at our scripture reading and i want to go through this again galatians chapter 5 verses 19 through 21 which is interesting this immediately precedes the more well-known passage of the fruits of the Spirit that we all know of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. But the contrast is seen in the verses just before, which are the works of the flesh. Now, when we look at the works of the flesh, works of the flesh which are identified in these three verses... Most of these we aren't surprised to see listed under the category of the works of the flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. These are things that are clearly condemned throughout Scripture. And then we get to verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies. Now, this is where things get a little bit more interesting. Now, obviously, we know idolatry is an issue, and we talk about how the children of Israel back in Bible times worshipped idols. We may not be bowing down to golden idols, per se, but there is modern idolatry that many in the church struggle with, the modern fashions and cultures and entertainment of this world. Witchcraft, there's not as much of that in the modern era, although when we lived in Trinidad, there was some of that going on among some of the people, and there's other places where that takes place. But there's a a well-known Bible verse that says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And rebellion, which is witchcraft, is just as much an evidence of the works of the flesh as some of the other things that are mentioned. And we go on down, and this is where I want to get to verse 20, and that's this word heresies. This is something that sometimes I have seen Seventh-day Adventists struggle with. And it's amazing to me How many well-meaning, Bible-believing Seventh-day Adventists are taken away or carried away by the latest, greatest heresy that will come into the church? Now, heresy can take on many different guises or forms. We think, for example, of some of the heresies that have come into Adventism through the years, such as when Dr. Desmond Ford, in the late 1970s and early 1980s, challenged the teaching of the sanctuary message and of the investigative judgment, and that heresy was very well and adequately handled by the church and um, was dealt with. And there's been other heresies that have come in since then, and a lot of times, those of us here tend to be from the more conservative way of thinking. And so we think about so-called liberal heresies that come into the church that water down the clear teachings of the Sabbath sacredness or the sanctuary message or, or other heresies that attack the very core foundation of our beliefs. But sometimes we don't realize that sometimes on the right side of the church, we can be just as susceptible to heresy as the people on the left side. And Scripture says that heresy is a manifestation of the work of the flesh. In other words, heresy is a product of the carnal mind. Did you realize that? Now, let me tell you something. I have seen some of the best well-crafted heresy within the realms of Adventism that is under the guise of being supported by the Bible and the writings of Ellen White. And there are reams and reams of Bible verses and Ellen White's statements, and you get to the end of the study, and it's honestly just as unclear as it was at the beginning, but there's assertions that go with the statements to make the point, but we aren't as willing to admit that the the mindset that is promoting this idea is coming from a carnal mind that is going against the clear teaching of Scripture. And we need to be willing to call sin by its right name. When heresy comes into the church, whether it's from the far left that attacks the validity of the word of God, or if it's using the word of God as a cover to bring in heresy from the other side, we need to be able to call sin by its right name. Heresy is heresy. Now you may be wondering... What do you mean then with the sermon title, The Value of Heresy? What could there be to the value of heresy? Why does God allow heresy to come into the church? Why doesn't he just protect us and keep us from false teachings so that we won't be spoiled or defiled by such things? Well, I want to read you a few statements. This is Testimonies, Volume 5, page 707. I have been shown that many who profess to have a knowledge of present truth have not, or know not what they believe. They do not understand the evidences of their faith. They have no just appreciation of the work for the present time. When the time of trial shall come, there are men now preaching to others who will find upon examining the positions they hold that there are many things for which they can give no satisfactory reason. Until thus tested, they knew not their great ignorance. You know, A lot of times we take for granted what we think we know, but then when tested, when a heresy comes into the church, we realize that we didn't really understand why we believe what we believe going on it says and there are many in the church who take it for granted that they understand what they believe but until controversy arises they do not know their own weakness when separated from those of like faith and compelled to stand singly and alone to explain their belief they will be surprised to see how confused are their ideas of what they had accepted as truth certain it is that there has been among us a departure from the living God and a turning to men putting human wisdom in place of divine so in other words there are some among us who rely on what the preacher says and what they hear in Sabbath school class and just take for granted that they kind of understand what the truth is. But if they are separated from the preacher or the elder or the pastor, whoever, that has been able to explain the message, they quickly realize that they don't understand why they believe what they believe. Now, this next paragraph comes to the title and the idea behind the message. This is Testimonies, Volume 5, page 707. God will arouse his people. Now look, we need to be aroused. We need to be awakened. There's this stupor, this spiritual lethargy in the church. So the statement says God will arouse his people. Well, how is he going to arouse his people? Notice what it says. If other means fail, heresies will come in among them, which will sift them, separating the chaff from the wheat. So in other words, God allows heresy to come into the church to identify who the true followers of Jesus are versus those who are just chaff, who are along for the ride and who don't know what they believe and why they believe it. Now, let me hasten to add, I am not advocating that any one of us brings heresy knowingly into the church to see how it will separate the church one way or the other. No, no, no. Heresy is a manifestation of the work of the flesh. And the, the Bible reading goes on to say, uh, Paul says, As I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So let me be very clear to you. Teachers of heresy will not inherit the kingdom of God unless they repent. It is not okay to be a teacher of heresy. But God allows teachers of heresy to come into the midst of the church because the church is in a state of lethargy And when heresy comes in, it leads to an awakening among some so that we will study to know what we believe and why we believe what we believe. So the quote goes on to say, "...the Lord calls upon all who believe his word to awake out of sleep. Precious light has come, appropriate for this time. It is Bible truth showing the perils that are right upon us. This light should lead us to a diligent study of the scriptures and a most critical examination of the positions which we hold." Now, I'm just going to mention, in general terms, some recent heresies that have come in, and I'm going to invite you to come back to our 1.30 meeting this afternoon, where I'm going to deal with a specific heresy that has just popped up recently. So you'll want to come back this afternoon. We're going to go through what the allegation that's being made towards the church why there's a problem with this allegation, how it's a heresy, and how we need to be aware of it so that we can know what really is correct. But here's some general things. Now, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail per se, but in recent times there's been a revival of this so-called anti-Trinitarian movement or the One True God movement who claims that the Father is the one true God. I'm not, that's not really what I'm addressing directly today, but it is a heresy because if you say that Jesus is not God, That's the same allegation that Lucifer was making in heaven when Christ assumed the form of the angels, and he was the archangel, and Lucifer was going around saying, how is he really any different than me if I'm the covering cherub? What's the difference between me and him, and why can't I enter into the councils of heaven? And so those who would make claim today that Jesus isn't really God, he's divine but not God, are buying into a similar line of reasoning from way back in the... Um, ages passed in heaven when Lucifer brought such charges. I'm not going to get into all the detail of that today. There's also insubordination among wide swaths of Western Adventism over votes that have taken place, whether in the general conference and session or an annual council, and people say that they're going to follow their conscience no matter what, and yet consciences can be seared, and people are calling right, wrong, and wrong, right? And how can I trust your conscience if you're not willing to follow a thus saith the Lord? The church has taken its positions on certain things based on what the Bible says. So people will say, well, we're just fighting over policy. Well, the reason there's a policy is because we believe that policy is based on what the Word of God says, and that's why the majority of the church has voted the way it's voted. And we're told that we can ha- have confidence that the voice of God has spoken when you have a representative group of worldwide delegates who take a vote. So I'm not going to get into the d- detail of that. But here's what I want to zero in on today. I'm going to start to talk about this a little bit now, and we're going to get into the greater detail this afternoon. But within the last few weeks, a well-known speaker in conservative Adventist circles, is claiming new and fresh light in which he is suggesting a time period of a couple of months where the National Sunday Law is going to be passed. Nearly 100,000 people have seen this video in just the last two weeks. It's using a reapplication of prophecies that have already come to an end to set a date, and in fact, there are some people, some pa- there's a pastor out in California of a similar mindset that has set a specific date. For This Sunday law which is connected to what they claim to be a close of probation for seventh-day Adventists There's also leaders of another movement called the 2520 movement who've set a date for the close of probation in November of 2019 So there's a lot of stuff that's going on right now Which tells me that we're living in some very interesting times now I'm here today to say I want to affirm the idea that we need to be in a state of readiness We need to have a state of preparation, but there is something dangerous about setting dates, especially when you say you're not time-setting when you're time-setting. Now, I'm going to read to you a statement. This is Review and Herald, October 9, 1894. God has not revealed to us the time when this message will close or when probation will have an end. Those things that are revealed we shall accept for ourselves and for our children, but let us not seek to know that which has been kept secret in the counsels of the Almighty." it is our duty to watch and work and wait to labor every moment for the souls of men that are ready to perish. We are to keep walking continually in the footsteps of Jesus, working in his lines, dispensing his gifts as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Satan will be ready to give to anyone who is not learning every day of Jesus a special message of his own creating in order to make of no effect the wonderful truth for this time. Did, did you hear that? Let me just reemphasize a couple of, of important things. God, God has not revealed to us the time when this message will close or when probation will have an end. That's the first thing that's worth mentioning. Secondly, she says, Satan will be ready to give to anyone who is not learning every day of Jesus a special message of his own creating. Now, some of you may say, but this person is so consecrated and has done so many wonderful works in the name of the Lord. And it reminds me of what the Bible says. Many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, have we not done all of these wonderful works in your name? But scripture says to the law and to the testimony if they speak not according to this word it is because there is no light in them please don't tell me that your favorite speaker must be okay even though they're date setting when the law and the testimony say don't do that so if your favorite speaker's date setting they're going against the law and the testimony and i'm going to go with the law and the testimony over your favorite speaker every time Now, the quote continues, Review and Herald, October 9, 1894. Letters have come to me asking me if I have any special light as to the time when probation will close. And I answer that I have only this message to bear, that it is now time to work while the day lasts. For the night cometh in which no man can work. Now, just now, it is time for us to be watching, working, and waiting, The word of the Lord reveals the fact that the end of all things is at hand and its testimony is most decided that it is necessary for every soul to have the truth planted in the heart so that it will control the life and sanctify the character. The spirit of the Lord is working to take the truth of the inspired word and stamp it upon the soul so that professed followers of Christ will have a holy sacred joy that they will be able to impart to others. The opportune time for us to work is now, just now while the day lasts. Now listen to this. There is no command for anyone to search the Scripture in order to ascertain, if possible, when probation will close. God has no such message for any mortal lips. Did you hear that? God has no such message for any mortal lips. So if your favorite pastor now has a message for when probation will close... The law and the testimony says, God has no such message for any mortal lips. He would have no mortal tongue declare that which he has hidden in his secret counsels. And despite the fact that we have such clear instruction, and the ironic thing is that the speaker is saying that the worldwide church has rejected the testimony of Jesus, and I have to ask the question, who's rejecting the testimony of Jesus, the worldwide church or the speaker? The speaker? because the testimony of Jesus is saying we are, there is no command for anyone to search the Scripture in order to ascertain, if possible, when probation will close. God has no such message for any mortal lips. So please don't tell me that you're uplifting the testimony of Jesus when you're speaking against the very thing that it says. Now let me read you another statement. This is review and Herald, August 2, 1881. The shortness of time is urged as an incentive for us to seek righteousness and to make Christ our friend. This is not the great motive. It savors of selfishness. Is it necessary that the terrors of the day of God be held before us to compel us through fear to right action? This ought not to be. Jesus is attractive. He is full of love, mercy, and compassion. He proposes to be our friend, to walk with us through all the rough pathways of life. He says to you, I am the Lord thy God. Walk with me, and I will fill thy path with light." You know, listen, we do have a message of urgency that calls the people to be ready for the coming of Jesus, but if your primary motivation to be ready for the coming of Jesus is because you're hearing of the terrors of the last day and how the time of trouble is coming, and here comes the Sunday law and Jacob's time of trouble and the seven last plagues, so you better get your life right with the Lord right now or else you're savoring of selfishness rather than of having a close Connection with Jesus. Now, I, I'm well aware of the other statements. Early writing 64, which says, "Get ready, get ready, get ready. You will have to die a greater death to the world than you have ever yet died." I saw that there was a great work to do for them, and but little time in which to do it. So, we do have a message of readiness and of preparation and of, uh, preparation and of shortness of time. But we don't have a message of time setting the third angel's message can stand on its own without time attached to it. The third angel's message, which is connected to the everlasting gospel, is a message of character preparation. But I see these elements coming into the church that are claiming that the Sunday law is about to pass, the probation is about to close on Adventists. so you better get ready. And here's my frustration. I agree with the element that we need to get ready and to be ready. I agree with that. But I can't agree or promote any teaching that sets time for Sunday laws or close of probation or the second coming or so forth. That is going against the clear admonition of inspiration. Now let me read to you another statement. This is from Manuscript Releases, Volume 9, page 27. This is from letter twenty in eighteen eighty four. Ellen White says here, God is raising up a class to give the loud cry of the third angel's message. Then she quotes Acts twenty thirty, which says, Of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. It is Satan's object now to get up new theories to divert the mind from the true work and genuine message for this time. He stirs up minds to give false interpretation of scripture, a spurious loud cry, that the real message may not have its effect when it does come. This is one of the greatest evidences that the loud cry will soon be heard and the earth will be lightened with the glory of God. Did you hear that? when there are false interpretations of Scripture that are saying this is the message that's going to prepare God's people for the last days. And we're being told now that we've been living in the judgment of the living since September of 2015 by this latest idea that's come along, if that's what they're claiming, then they're basically saying we're living under the time of the loud cry now because that's when the judgment of the living starts to take place. And so there's these claims that are being made that are false interpretations of scripture and the challenging thing for many people is they say, well when I look at that speaker and I look at their past record I see someone who's dedicated to the church and they've done so much for the Lord so certainly they couldn't be led by Satan to be making such claims and yet the testimony of Jesus is that Satan will work on the minds of men to give false interpretation of scripture. And he will be ready to give to anyone who is not learning every day of Jesus a special message of his own creation. Where another way of saying it is that men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Listen, we do not follow any one person. And I've seen this happen through the years where people have a tendency to say, well, I believe, and I'll just use a generic example um, from years past when HMS Richards was speaker of Voice of Prophecy, people might have said, I believe whatever HMS Richards believes whatever HMS Richards believed, that's what I believe. And then it's like, well, tell me how you believe what you believe for your own sake. And then HMS Richards was a godly man, so what he happened to believe was good, but let's just bring it down into modern day times. People have a tendency to follow charismatic leaders and speakers. And so when a charismatic person comes along who they've been following for so long and then they kind of take it just a little bit farther and they start setting dates, they're more inclined to keep following along with that teaching because they're used to following man rather than following Christ. And we should be following Christ, not people. People who are teaching questionable things. Now, I think it's worth mentioning that one of these, and I'm going to get into this this afternoon as well, it's worth mentioning that this assertion was made that the world church has rejected the the spirit of prophecy and that um, her writings are not considered, inspired anymore. That's the, the exact language that was used. But let me read to you the statement that was voted by the World Church at this latest general conference session about the writings of Ellen White. And I'm quoting, now, the scriptures testify that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. This gift is an identifying mark of the remnant church, and we believe it was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White. Her writings speak with prophetic authority and provide comfort, guidance, instruction, and correction to the church. They also make clear that the Bible is the standard by which all teaching and experience must be tested. And let me ask you, how is that a rejection of the writings of Ellen G. White? It affirms the fact that God's remnant church has the gift of prophecy and that this gift was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White. And that her writings speak with prophetic authority. And if her writings have prophetic authority, that means they have authority for doctrine and truth. Please don't tell me that this is a rejection of her writings. And I might add that the video that was shared did not show this statement, it just made an assertion that her writings have been rejected by the church, but didn't give a quote to back up the assertion. That's irresponsible. I'm sorry. The world church has not rejected. The writings of Ellen G. White. There may be individuals in the church who have, but the world church has not. And then when the same speaker comes along and starts setting dates, when the testimony of Jesus says, don't set dates, you again have to ask the question, who really is rejecting the testimony of Jesus as a source of truth? I'm going to read a couple of other statements here. This is from Councils to Writers and Editors, page 46 and the, the heading, which I don't think Ellen White wrote, is Submit New Light to Experience, Brethren, but now I'm going to quote the statement. There are a thousand temptations in disguise, prepared for those who have the light of truth, and the only safety for any of us in receiving no new doctrine, no new interpretation of the Scriptures, without for first submitting it to brethren of experience. Lay it before them in a humble, teachable spirit, with earnest prayer, and if they see no light in it, yield to their judgment, for in the multitude of counselors there is safety, you know, a lot of fanaticism and heresy could be averted if individual speakers were willing to come and sit down with a group of experienced brethren who believe in the third angel's message and say, here's an idea that I have, what do you think about it? But a lot of times we see these trailblazers that just come ahead and put something out there and the next thing you know, 100,000 people have watched it and there wasn't really any vetting of the message before it went out and that's unfortunate. It leads to confusion among the people. And here's the danger that we have when such assertions are made. There is a real loud cry message that God is going to give to this church. There is the latter rain that is going to be poured out upon God's people. There really is going to be a Sunday law that will lead to the end of all things before Jesus comes back, but when you cry wolf too many times, eventually people stop listening. And people start to say, oh, here comes another time setter, here comes another fear-mongerer, here comes someone who's going to scare us about the coming of Jesus. And in reality, if Jesus is first and foremost in our lives, we will have a desire to see Jesus come soon. And it will be a moment of personal triumph and glory based on the, what Jesus has done in our lives, based on his grace and faith, faithfulness to us. But what ends up happening is, is that our message of preparation loses its punch when we attach to it false assertions, reapplying prophecies that have already been fulfilled into the future as not prophetic days but as literal days. And then people start to really question if what we're preaching really is true. I mean, the reality is we've been preaching the soon coming of Jesus since 1844, so we're well into the preaching of that message. We're 174 years into the preaching of the soon coming of Jesus. And some people are getting restless, and so what ends up happening is we start setting dates. And you can look back down through time. I mean, I'm only 41 years old, but I can tell you that I have been around enough Adventists, to have heard someone, somewhere, say about every single U.S. president that's been in my lifetime. Going back to Ronald Reagan, he's the first one I remember in my lifetime. Ever since Ronald Reagan, he was the last president before Jesus was going to come. And then it was going to be George H. W. Bush because he had been the director of the CIA. And then it was going to be Bill Clinton because of stuff I don't know what about him. Then it was going to be George W. Bush because he said something about the Pope, and then it was going to be Barack Obama because he had something going on with the Pope when he visited him, and then the next thing you know, it's well, it has to be Donald Trump because of, you know, it's just on and on and on. And so we make these predictions, and I even heard uh, speakers say that, that Robert Pearson, you go back to the 1970s, that Robert Pearson was the last righteous general conference president. And then when Ted Wilson came along, they had to adjust their interpretation. They're like, oh no, Ted Wilson's the last righteous general conference president. And we just, we lose credibility when we make these kind of predictions. That's not our message. God has not given it to to us to understand when probation will close. Now, we can know the times and the seasons that we're living in, we can be aware of the signs around us, but we're never going to know with certainty when probation will close until the time is upon us. That's why it's going to come as an overwhelming surprise. So I just want to remind you that It's not okay to teach heresy. Date setting is heresy. Setting false expectations that go against the teaching of Scripture and the spirit of prophecy for the timing of the coming of Jesus, that is false teaching and that is heresy. And heresy is identified in Scripture as a work of the flesh. And Scripture says, and I'll read it again in verse 21, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, I don't care if you have a a packet of Bible verses and spirit of prophecy statements to back up the heresy that you're teaching, because you're just taking those statements out of context against the clear statements that say, we don't know the time and that there's no time prophecy between 1844 and the second coming, please don't tell me that you can take three and a half years from September of 2015 and go into March or April of 2019 and not say that you're doing a time prophecy between 1844 and the second coming, when we've been told there is no time prophecy between 1844 and the second coming. That's heresy. And what it does is that it has the tendency to put... The unconverted and the church back to sleep because they say, Here just comes another date setter, and then March and April will come and go, and nothing happens. And if you want my honest opinion, I don't think that the Lord would allow March or April to be the time that it would happen because He's not going to allow a heretical teaching to be affirmed with a fulfillment that would validate heresy. Now, maybe it'll be before then, I don't know, maybe it'll be after, I'm not here to predict. What I am saying is that we do need to have a state of readiness. We need to be prepared, but we shouldn't be setting dates because, yes, there's heresy on the other side of the church where, where people say, I'm not going to believe the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy anymore. I'm not going to believe in the sacredness of the Sabbath or 1844, or the sanctuary message and all of that, and that's heresy. But it's just as much heresy to start setting dates when we've been told not to do so. So, I want to encourage you and challenge you today, keep looking to Jesus, and remember that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that Jesus has spoken to his last day church through the testimony of Jesus, and to the law and to the testimony, if people are not speaking according to this word, it's because there is not just some light in them. It's because there's no light in them. Now is not the time to be attracted to those who have no light in them. Now is the time to be standing up as a faithful Seventh-day Adventist for the true light for this time and to be proclaiming the third angel's message, the faith of Jesus, the commandments of God and the patience of the saints, a message of character preparation that causes people in this church to be looking with great earnestness and longing for the true character of Jesus that is seen in the lives of the members who are living in preparation For the coming of Jesus. That is the message that is going to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. We need to be ready. We need to be sharing with others. We need to be sharing the three angels' messages with the lost and dying world. But as we do so, may we do so not in a way that is heretical, that mixes heresy with truth. May we share this message in its pure, unvarnished form, the truth as it is in Jesus so that someday soon we will see Jesus come in the clouds and we can say, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio,